the aggressive life. It's all about pushing your life forward. This is a podcast that does not want you to just sit around thinking the same things you've always thought, doing the same things you've always done, laughing at the same things you've always laughed about, unless you're laughing about things that I really want to laugh about. And today we're going to do that. You know, people, people sometimes, well, not sometimes, a lot of times people come up to me and said, hey man, how did you land Matthew McConaughey? That was, that was a good get for the aggressive life. Or how, how, how in the world did you land Francis Collins, the first person who mapped the human genome and, you know, the, is a director of the National Institute of Health who Fauci reports to. How, how did you land him? Or how did you, oh, we've had some really cool guests. I got to tell you what, these ones today, this is for me. I don't know if you're going to like it or not. I don't really care if you like it or not. It's about me. How many times do I have to say it? It's about me. It's my podcast <laughs> and I'll do what I want to, do what I want to, do what I want to. So today, we're going to meld two things that are amazing. We're going to meld one of my favorite topics in the world along with one of my favorite movies in the world. We're going to meld motorcycles and dumb and dumber. Come on. You can't get any better than that. Come on. Motorcycles and dumb and dumber. I read I read a piece of what two guys did which I thought was the most creative, outlandish, funny, intelligent and aggressive things I have ever heard in my life. I have ever heard my life. I just said, I've got to get these guys on the podcast. Who, who's with me here? Zach Quartz and Ari Henning are with me right now. They're childhood friends. They have become motorcycle experts. They've created some of the most engaging and original motorcycle content I've ever come across. They've got a podcast, but my goodness, the greatest thing that they did. Well, I'm not even sure, Zach and Ari, if I should tell people what you did or if you, would you like me to tell them or would you like to be the ones that talked? Because we're going to start there and then go from there. Should you break the news or should I break the news? It seems like uh, with your enthusiasm, Brian, I want you to break the news. <laughs> okay. Well, what they chose to do is they chose to recreate a scene from Dumb and Dumber and ride a mini bike, exactly replicate the scene on a mini bike from Missouri to Aspen, Colorado on a mini bike riding two up in the wintertime. <laughs> like not cinematic, not cinematic trickery, literally in the winter and got pulled over by cops. That's basically the story. So am I getting it right or wrong? Yeah, I mean, it was a long trip, but we actually left from Nebraska, not Missouri, and uh, we did have a close run-in with the police, but they didn't actually pull us over. They just sort of looked at us, and then I guess decided they had better things to do. I thought you said that they looked at you in the article I wrote, and they put two and two together. You were doing a Dumb and Dumber scene, and they <laughs> they were they were tickled by that, no? Yeah, well, we encountered those guys. Uh, what was the name of that town, Zach, where they had the, all the moose? Uh, Walden. Walden, Colorado. Walden, Colorado. Yeah, we were, we were getting ready to depart for the day, and uh, the police came up, and they're like, hey, you can't ride that minibike on the street. But um, they quickly realized what we were doing, and uh, they were pretty enthusiastic. <laughs> yeah, it, it was pretty cool to watch cops, uh, you know, be, like, upset with us, and then... Once they recognize Dumb and Dumber, sort of like come around 
and and be like, all right, you guys are okay in the end, um, which is obviously not usually what happens with officers of the law. Certainly not with us anyway. As every middle-aged white man has great respect for Dumb and Dumber. It's wonderful. So give us the background on why did you choose to do this? What were your plans like? What kind of systems did you have to put in process? What was the ride like? Just, just take us through it because a lot of times we hear about these really outlandish things, crazy, stupid things. I use stupid in the highest regard because I'm talking about things that people think can't happen or shouldn't happen. And when you did that, I thought, wow, that was, that was impressive. And I, and I really think that there's a, there's a level of learning that the average people can have for this on things they think that can't be done, they'd always like to do, but they haven't done it. The problem solving you went through, everything, I just find it astounding and actually applicable to my life. I know it sounds really deep and esoteric, but it's, it's honestly how I feel. So lead us through the process of why, how, all that stuff. Yeah, I, I feel like, um, well, we started by building the bike because we realized that we wanted to do this trip because it would be, you know, I think everyone who's seen Dumb and Dumber probably has the question, like, what would it actually be like? Especially, you know, we're motorcycle people. So we're the motorcycle scene in the movie is one that we represent with. So we sort of like, well, you know, the, allegedly the characters in the movie rode hundreds and hundreds of miles across the middle of America on a mini bike with five inch wheels and no suspension and, you know, two of them together on this bike. And obviously it's silly, but we couldn't help but ask why, how, how, or like, why, what would it be like? Could you actually do it? Is it possible? What would it be like to do that? And then when we started researching, giving it a try, we realized that we didn't want to do, we didn't want to just buy a mini bike at, at a box store or like, you know, phone it in. Um, and oh, that would be totally phoning sort of, it in. Just riding a normal mini yeah. bike—that's totally phoning in. Yeah. Well, I mean, if if you're gonna if you're gonna try and recreate the trip, you might as well be authentic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Ari kind of had the idea. You know, Ari was the one that was like, "I think we can build this thing. I don't see why not." You know, we we got a welder. We've got some time. <laughs> um, and uh, so he researched it on the internet and found all the parts, and then you know, cut the frame in half and extended it so that it would fit two of us and. Uh, and then we just took it from there. Uh, but he he was the he was the one that that um, sort of took the bull by the horns and started building the bike, which I think was the that that was that was really what started the enthusiasm, I think, ar- around the team. And it's kind of a replica. Did you do a replica of the bike in the movie? Oh yeah, very very much so. It's it's accurate all the way down to the the tires we selected and the the proportions. We studied photos and measured things out. So yeah, we went we went pretty OCD with the build. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was good. It was it that came out really well. Um and the only the only thing that's not accurate is that the engine is bigger than the one in the movie because we were worried that the one from the movie since they didn't actually ride, I mean, you know, not throwing shade on on uh on on the Fairley brothers or anything, <clears throat> but because they didn't actually ride it all that way, we were worried it wouldn't carry us. So so the engine was a little bigger. But aside from that, we did our best to replicate it completely down to colors and tires and the tassels on the handlebar and the basket and the Samsonite briefcase and everything. How <laughs> The Samsonite brief. You actually researched it. Oh, yeah. It wasn't just a briefcase. It was a Samsonite briefcase. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it oh, yeah. had all the IOUs in it. Mm, not quite. Well, the, the, the secret... Of I'm not sure if we if we reveal this or not, but the secret of of what's in it is uh, is included in a video that we also have on our channel. Uh, okay, uh, where I rode the bike. I rode we, when we got home. We were sort of like, wow, this thing you know works better than we thought it would. So I uh, I have a series where I ride different motorcycles to work, 
all the time just to, as a way to review them. Um, and so I rode the Dumb and Dumber bike from basically my neighborhood to the office uh, to see how it would be as a commuter bike, which, spoiler alert, it's terrible. But... <laughs> Uh, the, that video does include the secret of what was in the brief, what was in the Samsonite briefcase the entire time we were riding. So if you're, there's a little Easter egg there if someone wants to try and find it. And how long did it take you to get from Nebraska to Aspen? It was four, four days riding. Yeah, four. Yeah, four days. And I don't remember. I think it was. I don't remember the number of hours it was riding. We calculated that at some point too, but I forget. Yeah, it wasn't as much as it felt like. It was <laughs> yeah. it was like, you know, 20 or 24 hours total spread out over four days. But there's filming. We filmed this, obviously, for the episode. And there's a lot of that. Um, there's a lot of back and forth with filming. There's a lot of pulling over and pausing and setting up GoPros and going back by the camera that has to take place. So potentially, if you were to just go direct, you could do it a lot faster than four days. <laughs> most of our listeners may not know. Most of our listeners don't ride motorcycles just just a clue if if you haven't ridden a bike if if i stuck you on a bike and said you're going to take a six-hour ride with the greatest technology they have on bikes today that would be really tough for you your lower back would ache your 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 muscle in your rear end haven't been sat on they'd be tough you'd get cramps different places your 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 wrist muscles your hand muscles i mean it, it would be really tough if we put you on you're not a rider on the best bike today for six hours you would struggle greatly i can't imagine what it'd be like to be on a mini bike two up <laughs> with lawnmower tires with zero <laughs> suspension for six hours, dude. This is serious. Yeah. Well, you 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 bring up a good point, Brian. And so much is that our our backsides and hands are calloused from riding motorcycles all the time. So we were in a little bit better used to riding shape, yeah, for for tackling something like this. But we, uh, I will say, we were we were sore. Even even our calloused uh, backsides were sore after a full day of riding this thing. Because it, yeah, it's 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 no picnic. That's for sure. <laughs> What was the most surprising thing about this and what was the most enjoyable thing? Mm. You want to go first, Zach? Uh, sure. I don't I, um, For me, maybe it's sort of the same thing is that it was, it was at the end of the day, a road trip on a motorcycle, <laughs> uh, which I historically enjoy. Uh, and it was a, it was a, it was a pain in the butt, literally. But, um, but it was, you know, you, you get to travel through sections of, of, of a country of the country that we, I have never been through, you know, we met people that we never met. We, we saw sites, we, you know, we saw wildlife. We, I don't know, it, it's a, it's a road trip is always fun. Um, and it's especially visceral and, and powerful on a motorcycle. And I think at the end of the day, that, that was maybe the most surprising thing to me is that that's what it felt like. <laughs> it didn't feel like complete torture. It felt like uh, a road trip with a friend, just in sort of a silly kind of warped way. Yeah, I think it's all accurate. I think for me, the the biggest surprise was how receptive people were to what we were doing. Yeah, we encountered <laughs> we we had people yell out the window quotes from the movie. People pull over when we were pulled over. People at gas stations. I mean, people would drive by us so they could pull over and take photos as we rode by. Uh, that was totally unexpected how much the movie resonates with people still all these years later and how excited people got about it. Um, but yeah, the most enjoyable aspect would be the same thing that, that Zach mentioned there it was just a, it, it fit the, it fit the mold of being a, a road trip on a motorcycle, which is something we, we both like to do. This one, I think you can't do anything more stupid. You go and totally redeem yourself. Airy probably, Airy probably remembers the line exactly. Cause we had to do it a bunch of times for the, for the episode. 
I, yep, yep. Oh, did I not hit the line exactly? I thought I did. What did I get wrong? Uh, you you forgot. There's a middle line there where it's like, and you good. You went and did something like this, and then then he yells. Oh, got it, got it. Got it. All right. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> I read yeah. you. I read you. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So you guys have been riding together for how long? Ooh, uh, since we're it's probably seven and nine, thereabouts. Yeah. Eight, eight and ten, somewhere, yeah. somewhere in that vicinity. Yeah. Were you guys next door neighbors or what? Uh, our, our dads actually raced motorcycles together um, uh, regionally in New England and even up in Canada, and so we were we were what is described as track rats, paddock <laughs> rats, as as the sons of road racers, and our dads would be out on the track doing their thing, chasing trophies, and we'd be in the paddock and in the woods surrounding the racetrack on our little dirt bikes, um, causing, causing mischief. So we had a, an interesting friendship wherein we got to spend a lot of time with each other, like two or three days straight, but it would be separated by months at a time, and it would be in different places. So it might be in New Hampshire, uh, it might be out in Nova Scotia, it might be down in Daytona. Um, so we had, a, we had a pretty interesting um, upbringing that was very similar in a lot of ways, and we got to spend a lot of time together enjoying it. Yeah, I've I've never actually put this together, but it's kind of actually our 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 friendship as children was not dissimilar from being colleagues actually because like we sort of like met up around motorcycles and like went crazy around motorcycles for a few days and then we'd like go back home to our to our lives, which is like sort of what we do now. We we you know we like meet up yeah. and do motorcycle stuff and then we go home to our lives. You're right. We're doing we're doing the same thing we were doing when we were ten years old. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So whereas I had an epiphany that bikes was a thing for me and I just kind of accidentally discovered it and just opened up something totally great. You guys have just always been in it around it. You probably don't have an initial motorcycle epiphany or do you? Good, good question. No, not really. I mean, we, you know, we were, we were sort of like, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I maybe Aries the same way, but I just always, assumed that I would ride motorcycles basically like that was my I grew yeah. up my dad had them and I was just like that, that's what I'm gonna do no questions asked yeah. so there's no there's no formative memory of getting on a motorcycle or riding a motorcycle it's just like you know probably shortly after learning how to walk there was a <laughs> motorcycle placed under me <laughs> yeah what what's your what's your motorcycle background Brian how where, where did you come around to it uh, I, uh boy I don't know there was ever asked that question uh my history would be I had a friend uh, when I was 16, rode a uh, Kawasaki, I don't know what it was, maybe a 350, 450 street bike mm-hmm. over to my house. Hey, just got this. Why don't you ride this? I had never ridden a clutch in my life before. Uh, okay. Never done it. So I got on that thing, and it was actually before I even had my license. Nice. So I got on a thing on the street, and I flipped over the handlebar and jacked up my wrist. So I said, eh, this isn't for me. Rough. And then in college i did a construction project for somebody and they uh they couldn't afford to pay me so they said okay here's what i'll do i'll give you my couch and i'll give you my honda nighthawk 550 <laughs> and, <laughs> and i said uh okay okay and i rode that for a year or so and then i got married and after about after about uh two weeks of marriage i was broke so i sold the motorcycle for cash and then I did nothing for motorcycles at all Interesting. until I was 35. A, bu- a buddy came to me. I'm in a men's group. We hang out like once a week and we kind of build into each other and challenge each other, support each other. And one of the guys said, hey, I got an idea. Why don't we go out to Vegas? Let's go out to Vegas with our wives and let's rent Harleys and take a trip all around Vegas. And I thought, that's the most wasteful 
piece of money I've ever, that is, that sounds stupid, utterly stupid, but all right, I'll try it. So we went out and my wife rode in the back of this road king and it was about two days in and I went, oh my gosh, I haven't thought about my normal day job at all for two days. Nice. This, at all, this can be my thing. So I just kind of graduated from there and then did Alaska and we did a, I've just, I just evolved from there. So yeah. that's, there was definitely a moment for me, like I can get into a space mentally, emotionally, and spiritually on a bike that I cannot in anything else because people go, oh, isn't it dangerous? Of course, of course, that that's the whole point. <laughs> it's dangerous and therefore you're thinking about staying alive and everything you should be doing properly instead of your day job. At least that's the way it is with me. Yeah, thankfully it, it doesn't I'm not as preoccupied with staying alive. I think thankfully that's become second nature with the with the <laughs> the skills and the strategies to develop riding in Los Angeles. But I agree entirely that it is a, a beautiful and, and magical way to clear your mind and um yeah. For me, unifying the way my brain works and the, what my body's going to do instinctively is probably one of the most satisfying parts of it. Yeah, I I think definitely for both of us, it's it's a uh, it turns into a meditative thing, and I don't think I would have classified it the, the quite the same way you did, Brian. But 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 it is for that reason, you know, that you do have this deep focus when you're doing it, and that's a that's a, that's a high high value, I think, in in life, as you said. I mean, certainly, you guys are not able to daydream as much on a motorcycle as you are in a car. Or are you able to? Because you're certainly more you're certainly more that's, experienced than I am. I think that's that's one of the very bizarre and somewhat magical things. Uh, Zach and I both have experience as amateur road racers, so a little bit more of an aggressive approach to motorcycle riding than just riding on the street. And I think we've both talked about it. And I know I've certainly heard my dad talk about it, where you're in the heat of racing, focusing as as hard as you possibly can, and somehow somehow your brain starts thinking hmm, I'd like some spicy mustard on my sandwich at lunch today. <laughs> and your brain, it's, it's as if your brain begins to operate at this level that you expand your consciousness and you can start thinking about other things. I've found myself thinking about the most bizarre and trivial things while riding a motorcycle at the absolute ragged edge of my skill and ability. And it's one of the things that I chase and love is that like, it's almost like a higher state of, of mental processing that's really satisfying. Yeah, have you experienced that, Zach? Absolutely. Yeah, I, the, I, I, it's a, it's a, it's a weird, uh, it's a weird thing. Um, but I, I think you probably get to it in, in you know, many other things. I've, I feel like I've heard you know distance runners say the same kind of thing, where you get in this state of your body is just going through this process of of trying so hard to accomplish a thing, but you're in this like zone, you know, and then you're it allows your your brain to kind of float up. Um, uh, almost above your body, and and you have this sort of ability to look around and see yourself doing this thing, and and use use parts of your brain to think about things that you never thought you would while you're under such a uh, stress, you know, under in such a strenuous environment. Um, so yeah, it's a piece of motorcycling that we, that we love that probably other people who who challenge themselves um, physically and mentally can can represent with. Well, it's hard for me not to put my experience onto you all because I think, well, if I did that. What would what would it, what yeah. would it be like? But one That's of the pretty common, I think it is common. Okay, so so one of the things I thought was, it's not just you guys have muscles and calluses and all that stuff that the average person who just drives cars doesn't have. I think it's also when you're a rider, you do get used to uncomfortable to agree that drivers can't. You you know we've all had to sit and had to sit in a puddle when it rains and the freaking, <laughs> the freaking 
<laughs> climb Gore-Tex pants. Still leaks around the crotch. I don't freaking get it. I'm on my third one. It's still leaks. But you, you, you know, you've like sat in water. You've, you know, you've had things hit you in the face. You've had, you had uh, motorcycling. It's, it's relatively uncomfortable. So I got to think that your level of uncomfortable tolerance when you're on that mini bike has got to prepare you. Yes? No. Good, good question. I think it probably prepared us to some degree, but we were not fully prepared for how uncomfortable that particular <laughs> bike would be. Yeah, it, that was that was pretty brutal. But but yeah, to your point, you know that's one of the things about motorcycling is you get used to that aspect of it. You know, like even the most we just we just had our producer and director uh, Spencer, who's in charge of of you know filming and editing the whole Dumb and Dumber thing that we did. He just took a road trip with his uh, girlfriend uh, on a Honda Goldwing, which is a really really comfortable, plush, big. Um, uh, touring motorcycle uh, and they rode up the uh, north into California um, for many hours and you know he was saying you know that he said I don't even have any any suggestions for how to make that bike more comfortable it's amazingly comfortable it's just you just get to the end of a day you know or the end of six or eight hours of riding it and you're much more tired than you would be even in a in a regular cheap little car it's just that's just the way motorcycles are and I think that you know the the opposite the into that yang is is uh, is that you have experiences that you don't in a car. You know, you have you you feel temperature changes and you and you you yeah you you sit in water, but you also get to sort of experience smells and and the environment more than you do in a car, which I think is a big piece of it for us too when it comes to a road trip like the one we did. So I keep wanting to bounce back and forth here between your experience on motorcycles because you've got you've done a lot of really cool, great things on bikes that I want, I, I want to get into because it's, I've seen some of your other episodes that you've done and I want to get into that, but let's not leave the dumb and dumber thing yet. Let's, let's try <laughs> to find some, some applicable esoteric meaning because it's, it's not just the creativity to replicate it. It's not just the physical stamina to do it. It's not just the resourcefulness to build the bike and all that stuff. I mean, all of that's impressive. But if I go way, way back to the beginning, you just had a crazy idea of doing something that no one had done before. It's a vision. I mean, there's a vision. You could. I, I don't look at this as, it's amazing they did it. It's awesome. I do look at it that way. But I look at it as, man, what, what kind of ideas are really good ideas that I'm not going after what kind of visions could we have that we're not putting in the effort on i mean if you thought about that on on that kind of deeper level or am i stretching things too much because it's it's impressive it really is i mean seriously i'll put it another way i'm I'm a pastor by day that's my day job so i'm a pastor by day so i I see the if the if the amount of effort that i put into sometimes into my marriage if I put the same effort that I put into a bike trip into my marriage that week, it would be unbelievable. I mean, bike trips, they, they, they tap into a creativity that unfortunately I don't bring to other, other parts of my life, which I need to. You guys, reaction to that? Agree, disagree? What's your thoughts? I mean, we spend so much time digging into the back of our brains for, for ideas like this, you know, that I, I think we, we, wear ourselves out doing it. Um, but we, but when it comes to motorcycle trips, we certainly, this one and other ones we've done a lot of 
what we realize is that the the excuse can be pretty thin for going out and doing a thing, you know? Uh, this this one this one is arguably a little more convoluted. You know, it's really related to the movie, and like we said, we were inspired or so just so curious about the road trip that the characters took on this mini bike. But a lot of times, it's sort of like we'll just we had a really good sandwich or a really good ice cream at that place that one time. That's reason enough to take just get on a bike and ride for a day. Go out there and do that. Like you don't need to go that far to get ice cream, but it's a good enough reason to do it. And I think that's mm. another piece of motorcycling that's pretty fun. And, and not to, to, to drain the romance out of it, but it is our job to create entertaining <laughs> videos. So we typically recognize that when we've come up with an idea that seems pretty absurd, uh, that it'll probably make for entertaining content. Um, and this is one we'd been brainstorming on for the better part of six years until we could finally figure out a way to do it, which required an employer who is willing to fund it and also give us the time <laughs> to pursue it. Because, uh, yeah, doing it, doing it in our own time would have been, would have been an exceptional effort. Um, so it was it was part of our day job to do something as absurd as this. That's a good point. Well, I appreciate your humility. That's true. But, you know, that that movie's been around for 30 years and a lot of people would have loved to have done that and have had the thought and no one has. So, uh, yeah, you, you're, you're in a position to make it happen. But other people before you were as well. They just did, they didn't have the idea, didn't have the stamina or, or creativity. So thanks for your humility, but bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, I I think that it's a, um, it's also one of those things that we thought it would be fun. We wanted to answer this question for ourselves. What, what would it, if, if, you know, Lloyd Christmas and Harry Dunn had actually ridden from Nebraska to Aspen on a mini bike as, as was, you know, portrayed in Dumb and Dumber, what would that have been like? We wanted to answer that question for ourselves. And I think what we learned from people watching the video and the response we've gotten from the, the video is that, other people were curious too, you know, other people. So that's something, you know, to take away from it as well. You know, if you have a question in your, in your head of, I wonder what it would be like to try and do this thing, you know, other people might have that question too, and they might find it inspiring or entertaining or whatever. Well, let's shift out of the motorcycle world for just a minute, because this is the underbelly application for everybody. You, you got to do this thing because you, you have been clear with some sort of vision for your life. You know, you, you, you were always, you didn't have a motorcycle epiphany like I did, but you were going a direction to say, okay, let's start writing articles. Let's, you know, do podcasts. Let's, you, you got a, you got a, you got a TV deal that you, you've worked with. I mean, you guys have, uh, people would look at you right now. Any, anybody who rides a motorcycle and is frustrated with their life looks at you and thinks, gosh, why am, why am I not doing that? Gosh, how come I didn't? I would love to. I could do that. I could. Do, but the point is, you haven't done that, and you can't do that, <laughs> or you'd be doing it right now. There was, there was hundreds and thousands of inglorious steps that you guys took before anyone knew you that qualified you and prepared you to do the fun, cool stuff you're doing right now and getting paid for it. Do you think about that very often? I mean. I'll, I'll, I'll just kick it off by saying, I think Ari's story of how he got into this job is particularly inspiring and interesting and cool. And I, I often cite it to other people, you know, who, cause people ask me, how, how do I, I want to write about motorcycles. How do I do that? And I always just like turn to Ari's story and say, you can try and do what he did. That was, that's one way to do well, it. Well, Ari do that then. And my apologies that I've been calling you Ari, cause I have a good friend of mine who's, who's uh, a Jew over in Israel and I just brought the Ari into that. So, <laughs> so Ari, tell us that story. Uh, yeah, it's perfectly fine. I don't correct people on my name because my full name is, is Ariel. So you just chop off the all and you get Ari, but lots of people pronounce it Ari. Um, 
let's see. I guess the 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 shortest answer is that I was persistent to the point of potentially being annoying to the editor of a magazine about getting a job um, and volunteered to sweep the shop or change tires. And they eventually threw me a bone and, and I kind of got my foot in the door that way. But I mean, even leading up to that, I, I think that Zach and I both benefit tremendously um, from the roads that our, our dads paved for us, which is just like an extreme appreciation and understanding and respect and and knowledge about motorcycles. I think that's something that we point out to a lot of people when they want to get into this job is they'll be like, oh, well, I got my license a couple of years ago and I want to do what you want to do. And unless they've had an incredibly accelerated educational experience with motorcycles, there's just no way that in three years they've learned enough to be a, an expert and a professional and have the perspective that we've developed from literally being around motorcycles our entire lives. So, uh, you know, I, I've taken some steps in, in my own um, career that were were risky and inglorious, as you said, but the truth of the matter is my dad opened the door for me by laying that foundation of knowledge and also by being a, a pretty well-known um, motorcycle racer. So his, his name had some notoriety. And when I applied for a job at a magazine, uh, they knew my last name. So that certainly helps um, get me some recognition. But yeah, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of begging and pleading to be involved <laughs> and eventually 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 some uh some opportunities were provided i mean yeah and to to uh Aries being pretty humble about it i think you know one of the things he, he had sort of like saved up money to 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 go to community college and started doing that and then was like i don't know if this is for me and then ended up pouring a lot of money into a gas tank of a motorcycle and riding around the united states by himself to because he felt like that was what called to him you know not just going to get a degree because that's what you're supposed to do uh and i think that that's that took some fortitude um and 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 was seminal i think uh i don't want to speak for you Ari, but like i think that was a, a big piece of what built some of the foundation of of uh of of his knowledge about bikes and 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 his uh belief in himself to be able to do that um so yeah there's certainly lots of <laughs> lots of lots of steps along the way where you had to sort of like take a leap of faith or try something that that you know on paper someone might have advised against <laughs> oh absolutely yeah it was definitely advised against not not going to college and riding my motorcycle <laughs> around but yeah it, it, i ended up uh, i left massachusetts i ended up in california and that's obviously where the the motorcycling um industrial epicenter is so that was a good place to land it was pretty fortuitous area a lot of guys feel like they try to separate themselves from their father, separate themselves from their father's shadow. They want to be a, you know, self-made man. They want to figure it out on their own. I think, I think it's pretty cool that you just hang out there like, Hey, I had, I had a leg up on this because my dad is in the industry and opened some doors for me and I went with it. Um, I think that's, great um do you have any more reflections on that because I, I think this is a lot of thing for us as men that we're we're not sure how to deal with the in my father's shadow thing or am i to be my own guy or something like that have you got any hmm. thoughts on that i mean i think if i could be more like my dad i would want to be he was he was a self-made man i mean he dropped out of high school when he was 15 uh he he bought a house and raised a family as an auto mechanic. He also raced nationally and internationally and became extremely well-known and developed his own engine parts and created engines that are still the fastest engines out on the racetrack um, and gained the respect of people with engineering degrees and far more education and far more, um, I wouldn't say ability, but just experience than him. 
they respected him because he was self-taught. So like that was a huge inspiration for me. Just that example that he set where it was like you can, regardless of what your background is or your resources are, you can make some pretty tremendous stuff happen. So yeah, it's not it's it's not not going to school was a, a pretty easy decision for me to make. Even though I had mentors in my life, they're like, no, you should really do this thing. You need a degree. Being able to look at my dad and be like, he left school when he was sixteen and he did absolutely fine for himself. I was like, I can. It's it's not that big a deal. I'll figure it out. <laughs> was your dad supportive when you chose to go that track? Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what he did when he dropped out of high school is he rode his motorcycle up to Canada and then over to California. And I was like, well, that's what dad did when he didn't know what to do with his life. So I guess I'll, I'll try and do the same thing. <laughs> so are motorcycles for you guys right now, are they, what percentage is it my job and what percentage it's fun? Good question. Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. Yeah. I think that, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's half and half. The ratio kind of switches depending on what we're doing. Um, certainly early on in, in my career and maybe Zach's as well, when we were in our 20s, it was just like, I can't believe this is my job. It's amazing. And we spent a lot of time riding motorcycles. We spend a little less time doing it than um, at previous positions where we were doing a lot more comparisons and writing extensive articles for magazines. A lot of what we do now with the video is, you know, we plan it for weeks or months and then we go and ride intensely for anywhere between three and 10 days. Um, but like we both ride motorcycles to work on a daily basis. Uh, we both ride motorcycles on the weekend. Occasionally we still go out to the racetrack when we can. Um, I think that as we've gotten older, life has maybe gotten in the way a little more than it used to. It used to be a huge priority to just go to the racetrack as often as possible and log miles as much as possible. But now we've got kind of other competing priorities like, like wives and pets and homes and whatnot. Um, but it's still very much part of my identity and, and what makes me happy in life. So I, I feel very fortunate that it's what I get to do for a living. Yeah, I would, I would echo all that exactly. The, the, the one thing I usually say when I answer this question is that I do find myself excited sometimes to go to, say, a, a gathering of people, a, you know, a dinner party or a wedding or whatever, and just talk to people. And if they don't know that I ride motorcycles, I enjoy talking about about sports and weather and travel and whatever, you know, just like something else. I, I sometimes enjoy a weekend where I don't uh, do motorcycle things or I'm not the motorcycle person. And I, I, yeah. I, I do enjoy that sometimes. Um, but the truth is at my core, if I could be, if I could snap my fingers and be anywhere uh, aside from with you, Brian. Of course, um, of course. Uh, I would be on, I'd be on a racetrack somewhere going as fast as I could because that's just really what I, sort of what I love most uh, uh, foundationally in my life. All right, so I think we've got, 20 minutes scheduled left with you guys we can do. I'm going to ask you a question that I don't know if Dirt's going to eliminate this because maybe it'll be too boring for people. But it's good for me. I always <laughs> say this is my podcast. I'll do what I want to. And I'm going to ask you a question that comes up every single time I'm around a campfire with guys on a trip. This always happens every time because there's always new guys around and I, I love to hear it. So here's the question. I'm not going to tell you what the second question, what the third question is. First one, pretty simple. It's this. You can only have one motorcycle. You only have one. It can be any motorcycle, no matter how expensive, whatever. You can only have one motorcycle for any number of reasons. The United States says thou shalt only own one motorcycle or whatever. <laughs> you can only have one. What is it and why? Uh, go ahead, Zach. And for the record, he and I are going to have the same answer because we've had this, we've, we've posed this question to each other many times and to many other people. So okay. it's, uh, yeah. it's, yep. it's, pr we've, we've thought it through pretty okay. thoroughly. Yeah. Yeah. The short answer is probably a BMW GS. Um, 
I I especially my dad has had uh, the first edition GS almost my whole life. Um, and so I grew up with that bike around the garage. I rode it as a teenager and the, the modern iteration of it is fantastically capable and exhilarating and versatile and comfortable and, um, an 800, and a 1200, a 1250, a GSA, which, which specific one? I'd probably do a GSA, the the GS Adventure, because it's got the big fuel tank. I really like the big fuel tank, and I'm kind of a tall drink of water, so I don't mind the, the extra weight, the extra height. Um, I, you know, people people that's, say that's that, where we diverge. Yeah, exactly. I, Aaron I would probably get, get the, the GSA. Yeah, yeah. You would get the. But other than that, yeah, you. I would get the non GSA. It's a little, it's a little tall and heavy for my taste. But the 1250. Yeah, I might go previous generation. You know, if it was on sale or something. All right. Okay. <laughs> now. Uh, some crazy thing happens. There's a steam, a steam roller that comes by our neighborhood and squashes your motorcycle. It's done. It crushes it. It's uh, done. I just got oh. that. Bike. But great news! <laughs> great news! Crazy, crazy! You now can have two motorcycles, and you can have only two <laughs> motorcycles. That one's gone. You get insurance from it, oh. and you get a you get a new slug of cash that gets dropped on you. You can only have two motorcycles now. Any two? What are they? Hmm. Any two. Any huh? two. Yeah, this is when it gets interesting. <laughs> well, this is yeah, this is when it gets interesting because like one of them's got to be a pretty high performance sport bike or sport yes. naked. There's so there's yes. a category of there's a category of motorcycles. It's basically sport bikes, but instead of being fully fared with low handlebars, they've got higher handlebars. So they're a little more comfortable. Uh, and Aprilia, which is an Italian company, makes one that I'm very fond of. Um, it's the the Tuono 1100. So I would probably put one of those in my garage, and then I would want something. I'd want something very practical. So you want something um, practical? You might just get another GS, right? Would you just do a GS and a Tuono? Well, he said we can't have GS, right? No, Those no, are gone. you, you could have a GS again. Yeah, it just has. Uh, oh, yeah, then you, I'd absolutely like. Of course, I'd put a GS back in the garage. Fascinating. <laughs> okay. Fa- yeah. Okay. How about you, Zach? Uh, yeah. I. Yep. Yeah. I. I think I would probably just get another GSA, and I would be so thankful for that steamroller because. Now I can have a GSA and I can have a bike to go to the racetrack with because GS is not very right. good at race. That's the GS's big kind of flaw is that you can't go on a racetrack very fast on one mm-hmm. um, in a way that that I really enjoy. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess I'd probably do a GSA and I, I don't know. I don't know what the other one would be, but I might even just do a full-on sport bike. You know, I might do like a um, a, a, a Yamaha R1 or a, um, a BMW S1000 RR, something like that. Something really fast that can really blow my hair back. Okay. Hurricane comes. Your, your garage is blown over. It's a limit. Everything, you waste everything in your garage. And you hit the lottery the same day. So now you can have any three bikes and you're starting from scratch. This is the last round of this. Any three bikes. <laughs> and by the way, I'm, I'm also a bit surprised by your answers. Normally, I poke fun yeah. at people and kind of challenge one another. But since you are motorcycle gods, I totally feel unworthy <laughs> of challenging your, your assumptions and no. you're, you're, I'll just say this before we go three, two things, a couple things I'm really surprised by. I'm really surprised with you two. There's not a dirt oriented bike in yet. The GS does it all. I get that because the GS does it all. It's a Swiss Army knives, but I'm surprised when you went to two, you didn't, you didn't up your, neither one of you upped your game in the dirt. I'm, uh, so I'm a little surprised by that. <laughs> I'm a little, not critical, just surprised that uh, as we go to the round three here, like for those of us who are non-motorcycle folks, there's three categories of bikes that we haven't hit yet. We haven't hit anything that's really competent and a ripper on dirt. We haven't hit anything that is 
just built for long cruises forever and ever and ever, a gold wing, a, you know, a road king, a, you know, a BMW 1600. We haven't hit that category. And we haven't hit, this is another critical one, at least for me, we haven't hit the badassery category. Like, just like <laughs> old school Harley kind of, I just feel like a badass when I go to a bar. I just kind of, Harleys are, you know, they're, they're Halloween. You know, why, why do guys ride Harleys? You know, they want something to match their clothes, you know, but there is a, there is a, <laughs> there is a whole like, uh, demeanor that you put on uh, that not everyone has. Anyway, so we got some categories we haven't. Those are just sure. three categories off the top. So now you start from scratch. What three bikes are you going to have? Well, the, the GS, I would argue that GS does cover ground extremely well. Zach and I have both ridden the BMW K1600 as well as the RT. We've ridden, we've ridden the whole lineup of BMW bikes. The GS may not be as comfortable as a K1600, but it would, it would very easily run from Los Angeles to Boston without ever missing a beat and without ever making you uncomfortable yeah. uh, as far as motorcycling goes. So I think that for me that fills that fills the void. That would be my touring bike. Okay. Yeah. Cycle Psych- World. Our friends at Cycle World magazine did an interesting test a few years ago between uh, a BMW GS and a Goldwing because uh, you know on paper you'd think oh well, they don't really compare because they're two different types of bike. Uh, one is sort of like an SUV, like it's tall and rugged. That's what the GS is, and then the Goldwing's more like a you know a full on touring bike. Very sort of like it's a big it's a yacht. You know, um, but the bottom line is that they both when it comes to slugging miles, you know, they're both pretty good at that. So I definitely echo Aries, Aries right, response. I think that's one of the things about the GS is that it, it crushes miles. It, you know, Goldwing's a treat, but I can only have three bikes. I'm dead. The GS is my long hauler for sure. Plus I got that eight gallon tank because I got the GSA. Right. <laughs> and the, the two bikes aren't going to change for me because it's basically like I need a bike that can do everything. So that was my first bike that got steamrolled. And then <laughs> I get another opportunity because there's a hurricane. So like those other two bikes, I still I still feel very strong so about. And I think if you I replace both those bikes, then yeah, they get they okay. get replaced. Yeah, so absolutely. Then, fresh tires. So then on what's both number them. three? Yeah. So what's we three? haven't talked about we haven't talked about scooters either. We have not talked about that scooters, could be which it. is a good that point. could be your third. <laughs> yeah, that'd be tough because like I, I have a scooter and I ride it often, almost every day. Uh-huh. So it's very practical, but like I could also just ride a bicycle or a skateboard. Um, <laughs> and I think to answer your question um, about not having dirt bikes is because um, neither one of us. I mean, we enjoy riding the dirt, but we don't we don't really do the 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 big jumps, the motocross track. Um, yeah. So it's definitely our our inclination is far more towards pavement and. To answer your question, I think I would build a dedicated track bike from something small and fun like a Ninja 400. Hmm. I would have like a fully fully built, um, customized, track-ready Ninja 400, and that would be my track bike. I, I prefer the smaller machines on the track. I like leader bikes too, and R1 is going to be a lot of fun, but I uh, my particular enjoyment is uh, wringing the neck on small motorcycles. Yep, yep. So, I, yeah, I think I got, that's that's a great answer. Um, uh, yeah, and before, before I... Before I uh, reveal my answer, which is not uh, terribly different from Aries, to be honest with you. I think, you know, you touched on the whole like, kind of like machismo badassery or, or uh, you know, sort of aspect of motorcycling. And I think Ari and I, I mean, I won't answer for him specifically, but we are kind of motorcycle dorks, really. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I like, I get a kick out of the fact that motorcycles are cool and people think they're cool. And like, I, I can ride a Harley, I could ride a, a, a Sportster, a Fat Bob, or like, I don't know, something like that. And I can think like, yeah, I get it. This is fun. It rumbles. Like I, I feel, I feel kind of tough. It puts you in that slouch position. I, I, I get it to a certain extent, but at the end of the day, I'm, I don't ride motorcycles for other people. I don't ride them for, so that other people think I'm cool. I don't, I don't, that's not the point. I ride it because I get so much enjoyment from controlling the machine, from 
yeah, from for the whole experience. So I don't wear, I often wear clothing that's extremely dorky, uh, on a motorcycle, but it's safe and it's comfortable. Um, and I wear kind of dorky helmets and I don't, and I don't like care much about my bike being gorgeous. I just think if it's fun and the engine's cool, then that's enough for me. So, um, I think that's part of why you don't see our choices being like, Oh, I need something to like cruise down main street, you know? Cause like, I don't know, you cruise down main street on a Tuono. That's pretty cool. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, so yeah, so what's your, what's your, what's your third bike? I would. So here's the thing I would switch. I would not do. Oh, I would so we not got do some an, creativity here. You are switching one uh, out. Okay. A little All bit, right. a little bit. I'm more, I'm more sort of like falling in line with what Ari came up with because I had with the two bikes, I had the GS and the R1 because I want to, I want to go fast around a racetrack and, and, uh, uh, but I think with three bikes, I would go, I would get a super naked. I'd probably get a KTM 1290 Super Duke instead of a Tuono because that's sort of, I, I I really like that bike a lot. And then instead of a Ninja 400, I'd probably get something a little bigger. Um, I might do uh, um, an Aprilia RS660 for the racetrack. Uh, but again, a smaller, smaller bike, you know, more like a 60 to 100 horsepower bike for the racetrack um, rather than something ultra, ultra fast. Um, because I feel like I'd get my kicks with my street bikes. All right, it's time for the lightning round. Are you ready for the lightning round? This is when I give you a topic, and you must answer it like a bolt of lightning. Like quick answers, okay. pop, pop, like one, two sentences. Are you up for the lightning round? I guess so. Who's, we, we should probably decide who's going to go first, though, so okay. we're not like, because we're both going to be kind of jumping at the gun. So, That's Zach, true, true. by all means... Oh. Well, I think alphabetical. You, uh, Ari, then Zach. I was thinking sense. alphabetical, but then you know I'm at the end of the I'm at the end of the alphabet, and I always get ripped off when it's alphabetical. So we'll flip it around. We'll have we'll have Zach go first. <laughs> Fair enough. So here we go. Something you remember from the Dumb and Dumber ride that we didn't see in the documentary. <laughs> um, I I was so cold. Uh, when we went over that mountain pass, it was in the documentary. We should we saw us like going over this mountain pass. Um, but but I basically didn't I didn't speak very much because my lips were so cold that I wouldn't actually make any sense if I tried to speak. So I just kind of like let Ari take most of the lines there and just sort of went, oh boy, oh geez. I do remember that, Ari. This is. Does the same question yep, apply to yep, me? It does. Okay, it also has it also has to do with being cold. Everyone's like, oh man, he didn't wear gloves. That's so badass. That's so tough. The fact of the matter is, I was sitting behind Zach, who is a very effective windshield. <laughs> and when my hands got when my hands got cold, I just put them in his pockets. So <laughs> I to be clear, jacket pockets. He had his, his were jacket, hands in my jacket, oh, jacket pockets, pockets. Not my pants pockets. Just <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just to be clear. Yeah. Whatever. Nope, nope. Jacket pockets. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, that was something everyone's like, oh man, you didn't wear gloves, you must have been cold. But I wasn't I wasn't actually that cold. <laughs> Your favorite ride or motorcycle adventure you've ever had? We did a video for Motor Trend where we raced uh, vintage Vespas on a motocross track in Italy. Um, they have this thing called Vespa Cross where they take old vintage Vespas and they turn them into motocross bikes as much as you can with knobby tires and hopped up engines and stuff. And we rode around a motocross track on Vespas and tried to keep up with this batch of crazy Italians in the rain and the mud. And uh, it was one of the most chaotic and ridiculous things I've ever done in my entire life and just uh, uh, so special and weird. 
So yeah, that that, that comes to top. <laughs> it's pretty fantastic. That's definitely the most unique. I think most enjoyable for me would be historically. Uh, there's a big road race that's in Monterey, California. Um, so up the coast, and for years and years, Zach and I and a couple other friends would make the pilgrimage up there to go watch that race. And we would always pick uh, really cool bikes to ride, and we had awesome roads that we like to hit, and particular restaurants we like to go to. So that kind of annual summer pilgrimage is something I, I often look forward to. And we haven't been able to do it um, because the racing series doesn't go there anymore, but also because of COVID. So I, I kind of look back at that nostalgically and longingly, um, mm. and I'm eager to get back into those kind of long, long day road trips. Good answer. If you're going to break the budget on one piece of riding gear, what is it? A helmet. 100%. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Protect the brain. All right. Yeah. But, I mean, you can, you can get good helmets that aren't that expensive that are going to protect your brain, correct? I mean, you, you can, right? I mean, whereas yeah. a jacket, sure, yeah. a climb jacket versus a, you know, a rocket jacket is like night and day. Yeah, well, I guess my assumption was like you're spending, you're buying premium one thing, and everything else is going to be bottom of the barrel. Okay, all right. That was my that was my assumption. But yeah, you can totally you can get a you can get a very nice motorcycle helmet for for three hundred four hundred dollars, like a very high quality helmet. How have you learned to handle failure as a rider? Wow, well, good question. Uh, I'm trying to keep these answers short because it's a lightning round, but that's a tough one. That is um, a tough one. You can you could take this one longer because this is the longest <laughs> one. This is the last question. I think that the 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 most the the thing that people forget to learn about failure in any aspect of your life, whether it's learning a language or cooking or whatever, is that failure is such an acute learning experience, uh, and that's how you get better. Um, and with when you ride a motorcycle, it's the same. You know, like Ari and I both crashed on a racetrack, or, um, and and there's no avoiding the sort of uh, the impact figuratively and literally uh, that that has on you, you know, you, 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 and you really want to analyze that and figure out why that happened and try to do better next time. Um, and that, that sort of, um, dovetails with the fact that when you're riding, you're very acutely aware of those dangers because you understand that, that a small mistake can, can have big consequences. Um, so failure in motorcycling is, I think, um, it, it's, it's, it's kind of spoken into your brain through a megaphone. It's it's extra visible and it's extra important. Um, processing that and and uh, and applying it to to the craft of motorcycling is is like one of the most enjoyable things about it and one of the most important things about it. So uh, and and in some ways a good allegory for life. Absolutely, yeah. I think the important thing about if you ride motorcycles the way we do, which is that we want to do it skillfully and and proficiently, then every single mistake demands that you analyze what you did wrong and learn from it so that you can not do it the next time. Whether it's turning a lap on a racetrack and you didn't quite hit your line, you have to be like, all right, well, where do I need to turn in differently? Do I need to carry more speed? Do I need to do something different in my body position? Or probably more poignantly, when you crash, um, you'll get a lot of newer riders or less experienced riders who just don't understand why they crashed or aren't willing to admit why they crashed. Whereas every single time Zach and I fall off a motorcycle, we are extremely uh, transparent and humble about what we did wrong. And there's, you know, there's not going to be an instant where it's like, oh, I didn't know what happened or oh, something like, even if, even if something happened with the bike that was quote unquote out of your control, ultimately it's in your control because you were riding the motorcycle and you were the one that should have checked the tire pressures or made sure it wasn't leaking oil or whatever. So it, it forces you to take personal responsibility in a way that perhaps some people aren't quite comfortable with, but as a motorcyclist, you really have to just kind of like be willing to do that and, and learn from it. Yeah, that's, that's great. I, 
my favorite kind of riding is um, off-road riding where you're camping. So um, I got a GSA. Nice. It's the perfect bike for that. Loaded up with the cool robot gun. But you're, you know, you're on some tougher, gnarly stuff. Not single track, but tougher, gnarly stuff. And I, now I can go a week and maybe go down once or twice. You know, in the early days, it was every day, multiple times. And <laughs> and I would tell people, people say, oh, you, 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 aren't you afraid of wrecking? And I'd say, wreck every freaking day, every day. <laughs> they, they would just look at me with these like, like saucer eyes, like, you what? You... And I would just say, it's it's something in my life that I can't control. I'm getting better at. But from where I am right now, if I'm not pushing and trying something new, then I'm not going to go down. If I'm going down, I'm probably trying something new as I try to build my skills. I, I think that's I think that's helped me approach other things in life to be a little less afraid of falling down or getting bloodied because I've kind of chose a sport that embraces that in some degree. I mean, you, you get that, understand it, agree with yeah. it, disagree? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Sure. The, the company we work for now has a, has a, um, a motto that I think you'd probably appreciate, Brian, and it says, it says, take risks, wear a helmet. So you do things, you do things that are risky. You, you hang it out there a little bit, and you don't know how it's going to go. But you also make sure that you're prepared to some degree. It's not just you're not just being reckless. You're taking a calculated risk, knowing that something might go wrong. In which case, you wear protective equipment, which we obviously literally do on motorcycles. <laughs> well, hey man, if somebody wants to follow up with you, they want to get in touch with your stuff. They want to see what's going on. Tell us how to find you and just follow up with all the things you're doing. Advertise yourself, because people would love to know that. Uh, yeah, so the plugs are um, Revzilla is the name of the the company that we work for. That's uh, Rev like an engine rev, R E V, and then Zilla like Godzilla, Revzilla. Um, so a YouTube channel with a bunch of original content, bunch of a um, uh, bunch of product review stuff as well. Since they're an ecom company, um, but that's where all of our all the videos we make live. And then um, yeah, find find it on social media at Revzilla, and I'm. I'm uh, just my name at Zach Quartz on on social media. You can follow the the stuff that I'm doing that I'm working on 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 the, on a weekly basis. Yep, uh, the the YouTube and the website and social media for me is uh, Ari Henning two one one. Folks, if you want to just be stimulated, just find these guys, find their channel. They do. It's not just stuff like like the Dumb and Dumber. They'll they'll take <laughs> trips and they'll like challenge themselves. Can we ride through? Gosh, what did I see recently or uh, some time ago? You rode uh oh, you you rode an inadequate bike on Baja. Both of you guys did. You're just exhausted. Now there's some really good stuff when you watch it, you think, okay, that's something I normally wouldn't do or think of. <laughs> but I'm stimulated in a way that I'm not when I binge my normal show. You ought to check it out, guys and ladies. It's really, really good. Well, here we go. That's the end of one of my favorite episodes on aggressive life. I uh, it was good for me. It was good for you. I don't really care. It was good for you because it's good for me. Yeah. <laughs> very, very thankful for it. Thank you for being here on the aggressive life. Hey, thanks for listening. For all things aggressive living, why don't you head over to bryantome.com. Find my new book, Move, a guide to get up and go forward, as well as articles and much, much more. And no matter where you listen to podcasts, why don't you take a second and leave us a rating, leave us a review. It really, really helps us drive new listeners to the show. We want to help as many people as possible, just like we may have helped you. We want to help others. So why don't you help us out? And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram, at Brian Tome. 
Aggressive Life with Brian Tome, the production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.